verses 1 through 9. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. For you are controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted a seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it's God who makes it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So the title of my message today is, What is a Spiritual Person? There's a term that Paul uses here, spiritual ones. And this is a, this last two sections, what Caleb preached last week in this section are super important in the book of Corinthians and understanding the arguments uh, that Paul is making and understanding some of the stuff that he's, that he's teaching here. I think we never want to get this separated from the core message of Corinthians, from the central idea in Corinthians is the message of the cross. The message of the gospel. We're, we never depart from that in any of the teaching that takes place. Even when we're talking about the things of the Spirit and, and the, these things that Paul is going to be teaching, they're not divorced from this concept of the message of the cross. So keep that in your mind. And if you don't understand the message of the cross, come and talk to me afterwards and we'll, we'll talk about it. So what is a spiritual person? When I was growing up, I used to read these books. I think I put a picture of one up there. Maybe you, you used to read these books. Choose Your Own Adventure books. You guys recognize that? Um, so I, I really thought these books were awesome. You, you read through the story, and at some point, at the end of a chapter, it says, do you want to do this or do you want to do this? And you choose like A or B, and then you go, and the story changes as you, as you choose like a different direction. And so I'm like, okay, that's awesome. And then sometimes you make a good choice, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you end up in the story, like, ends in, like, three pages. You're like, oh. So you go back. Okay, I'm going to go back and make the different choice and see how the story unfolds this time. That was a lot of fun. Now, life's not so simple. Although it seems like a choose-your-own-adventure story, there's one glaring difference. We can't go back to that point where we made a decision when we were 13 or 15 or 18 or, you know, the myriad of times we made bad decisions. They seem to be around the teen time, though. Just remember that, at least in my own life. Uh, to make different, to go back and make different choices. If you were you're reading through this book, you could sort of navigate through the choose your own adventure. If you were the author, you would know the optimal sort of direction through this book to sort of reach the the glorified ending and, and reach the right ending that the author intended, or maybe he just intended all of them. And if we were the author of our lives, we would know the optimal choices to make at each point in, in, the, in the story. 
And I think this is where the Corinthians and, and in this passage are, are sort of treating following Jesus like a choose-your-own-adventure story. Like how to become a spiritual person. Choose your own adventure. And I want, to, I want you to stop and think about your life for a minute as an unfolding story. What does the past say about the end of your story? What is your story about? Who is your story about? How is this main character in your story developing? Of course, we're all aging physically and maturing, Lord willing. But how about spiritually? So I have three points today as we, as we walk through this passage. What is a spiritual person? How do we grow into spiritual people? The first point is spiritual instruction. This is what we have going on in this chapter, in the, the, the passages that Caleb covered, Paul began to speak about spiritual instruction to those who are spiritual people. And Caleb warned, and I want to reiterate a warning, which is clear in the scripture, although it's been distorted so many times. Paul is not advocating a spiritual elitism or a hierarchy of spirituality that says some people are more spiritual than other people. And there's a secret spiritual knowledge that you can attain to if you just, you know, send me $9.95 a month or whatever. No, there is no spiritual hierarchy in the message of the cross. Everybody comes to the cross on their knees. And everybody is one at the cross. We can't forget the message of the cross as we begin to think about the things of the Spirit. It's so important for us because it's just so tempting, you know, to, to try to be a, a spiritual person. And I'll tell you one, one way you can sniff out spiritual people is super spiritual people are never going to make you feel like you're not a spiritual person. They're never going to make you feel like they're holier than you are. They're going to be people that are just sort of really good to be around. And you just think, that, that was something about that person. The unspiritual ones will be the ones that tell you how spiritual they are <laughs> or act sort of spiritual or look down on your spiritual state. So what is a spiritual person? Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Maybe you're, you're a parent, if not. At some point with your little ones, they go from only being able to drink milk to eating solid food, you know, and you find food for them. You, you start scooping it into their mouth, as laborious as it is. And they're like, spit it back out, and you scrape their mouth. You get pretty good at it. And it's fun. It's so fun to see the little one start eating. Just like, here you go, eat it. For me, it was like, hold the spoon, come on. Come on, let's do it yourself. And when they could just sit down and grab their spoon and just so that I could do that too, it was awesome. I just, I love to see that growth and development. So we understand that Paul is saying spiritual people are mature people. It's interesting. He's, he's, he's comparing immaturity 
to being unspiritual or being infants in Christ. So one of the things that this spiritual instruction helps us understand is that being spiritual is growing and developing. Not just in your understanding, but in your spirituality. And Paul's going to define, help us understand what that means. He equates spirituality with maturity and being unspiritual with being immature. So the spiritual life is a process of growth and maturing. That means we start somewhere. That's this idea of being born again, being infants in Christ. And this is the gospel. That's where we start. The message of the cross kicks off the life of a spiritual person, the the type of spiritual person who Paul is describing. Anyone outside of Christ is not the spiritual person that Paul is describing. There are some people who are spiritual in, in a different sense of the term, but what he's describing here is a specific type of spiritual person. Now, the spirit, I wanted to just run through some, some maybe review or maybe some new concepts for you about the spirit of God. We serve a God who's so far beyond our understanding that he's, he's just, uh, not that he is, not that we're un- unable to understand him, but he exceeds our understanding. Kind of like when you get in your car. You don't know everything about your car, but you can drive it. It doesn't prevent you from interacting with your car because you can't fix it. In fact, most of us can't anymore. They're too complicated. God is like that. He transcends our finite knowledge, but we still have a chance to know him. And in fact, that's his whole plan, that we would know him because he created us to walk with him in close relationship. And one of the ways that he does that now is by his spirit. He's always done it through his spirit. But what happens with the message of the gospel is that God's spirit is given to anyone who has faith in Christ. To anyone who puts their trust in, like the scripture that Matt read, who is putting their trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross, they receive the Spirit of God by faith. And they become a spiritual person. But they don't become a spiritual person completely mature overnight. We are transformed into a baby. And then we get to start growing. We get to start growing and growing. So I I just want to reiterate, God intends for you to grow spiritually if you're following Christ. He intends for you to understand the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself indwelling us by his Spirit because because we have faith in Christ. But he intends for us to grow in that. One preacher, Vadi Bakum is his name, you use the analogy of going to a job site, construction site, and you show up and there's a guy pouring concrete. And you say, hey, hey man, uh, can you help me? I have some questions about pouring concrete. How long have you done this? You know, I've been doing this for 25 years. Oh, great. So how, you know, how do I do my footings and how much rebar do I need to use and what kind of form should I use and can you help me figure all this out? And he said, well, I don't know how to do it. What do you mean? I, well, I've just been doing it for 25 years, but I never learned all that stuff. I just, I've just been here for 25 years doing what they tell me. Now, you wouldn't accept that. You probably wouldn't hire that guy to do your driveway or your cement patio, right? So why do we accept that in the church? Like, hey, how, how, do, you, how, do, you know, how do you follow the Spirit? How do, you know, how do you know God? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I just sit there, uh, and then they just tell me stuff. How long have you been in church? I don't know, 35 years. 
And you know, it's kind of a biting criticism in one sense. And I'm not trying to criticize you. Uh, I think the better word is admonishment or exhortation to growth. Don't let yourself be part of a church for 35 years and not understand the things of the Spirit or grow spiritually. There's some things that we just let be. And, and sometimes people like me reinforce this reality because here I am. It's job security for me to just stand up here and pretend like I know everything and like you don't. But that's not what the church is about. We, I mean, we have a stage, we do things in a certain way, but the church is about us growing together in the giftings that God has given us and maturing in Christ together. I have a role and you have no less of a role. We've created this sort of passive environment where you're sitting there listening. Now, that's, what, that's how learning takes place sometimes. But it's never meant to end when you leave today. It's not meant to end in the 1.5 hours that we attribute to it per week. It's meant to be something that we walk in. So how do spiritual people grow? The Spirit, if you could sum up the Spirit, there, there's a great book called God's Empowering Presence by a Pentecostal scholar, right? That's the purple bird right there. His name is Gordon Fee. It's a great book. So Gordon Fee says, if I was going to sum up like Paul's take on the Holy Spirit, he said it's called, he calls it God's empowering presence. And I think that's such a great way to describe the Spirit for our lives. When we put our trust in Christ, we receive God's empowering presence in our lives. It empowers new life in us. It breaks chains that have held us back, and we can move forward. We can grow spiritually because God is at work within us. The Spirit reveals God's truth to us. I'm going to read some scriptures quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Caleb preached through this last week. Chapter verse 10. It was God. It was to us that God revealed these things. By his spirit. For the spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. When we want to know what God is thinking and doing and and planning, we go to the spirit and he reveals to us what God is doing. Jesus turns to his disciples at one point. As they're walking along, he says, hey guys, who do people think that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they say, ah, you know this, Elijah, prophet, this and that. He says, who do you guys say that I am? And then Peter chimes in in Matthew 16, and he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, now listen, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Peter says the truth about who Jesus is. And Jesus says, you didn't learn that from anyone. God revealed that to you. The revelation knowledge of who God is comes to us by his spirit. Of who Jesus is comes to us by his spirit when we put our faith in what he's done on the cross. The spirit teaches us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13. When, when, when we tell you all these things, we didn't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given us by the Spirit using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truth. Jesus says in in, uh, John 14, When the Father sends the Advocate, 
my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. He will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I've told you. I love that passage. One of my Bible school teachers said, you see what it says? He reminds you of everything that Jesus told you. So if you weren't listening, you can't be reminded. It's like his little jab to make us study more. John chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future. The spirit guides us into truth. The spirit gives us the mind of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 16. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. The spirit of God connects with us in such a way that we begin to have a different mind about things, a different way of cognition, a different way of processing the world than we had before. God is a... uh, God is a God. The Spirit is God Himself, a person. We, we, We understand this concept from the Scriptures called the Trinity. It surpasses our understanding, but we see it. The Spirit... The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All God. All persons. The Spirit is described as a person in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The Spirit has emotions. The Spirit is there in creation. The Spirit is with us. The Spirit indwells those who are in Christ. This is very key to understand especially when it comes to teaching about the Holy Spirit. Like, how can I be a spiritual person? By faith. By the message of the cross. By faith in what Jesus has done. Romans chapter 8 says, So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And he continues, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. If you have put your faith in Christ, you receive the Spirit of God. That's the good news of the gospel. Part of the good news of the gospel. There's not something that you have to do. There's not something else that you need to, to gain. There's not another level of spirituality that you need to have except to look at the cross and say, Jesus, forgive me. And continually trust in that message. And you receive the Spirit of God. So to sum it up, there's so many things that we could say about the Spirit. And there's so much to learn. And thank God He's a good teacher. And the Spirit just doesn't let us get by with sitting in class and taking notes. The Spirit takes these lessons and just kind of pounds them into us over time. He's really good at it. The Holy Spirit does these things in us. He helps us. He reminds us. He convicts us. He teaches us. He leads us. He counsels us. He reveals God's truth to us. He proclaims the truth about Jesus to us. Paul describes the spiritual life in various ways, but look at the way he describes it in these, in these statements. Walk in the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Live in accordance with the Spirit. Let your mind be controlled by the Spirit. I think we need to understand the centrality of who the Holy Spirit is in Paul's theology and in Paul's teaching. 
not because we need to know more about Paul, because we need to understand how important it is for us to know the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people. When we understand the centrality of the Holy Spirit to Paul's message of the cross, we begin to see the power of it. Paul's message is not based on human methods. It's based on the power of the Spirit. Paul understands that the Corinthians are filled with the Spirit and yet are in need of teaching and admonishment to continue to mature and grow and to grow into a closer walk with the Spirit of God. They are not walking out who they are, so they need instruction. They need correction. And that's how we are. We're all in a process of growth. Those who are being saved. It's not something that we just look back on and just rest in. The message of the gospel is an everyday reality for us. Notice the interplay of the Spirit and the Word. There are some who try to separate these concepts, the Spirit and the Word, by ignorantly distorting passages like the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So don't read your Bible. Seriously. That's a gross. That's a gross distortion of the truth of what God is doing. Notice who it is that wrote the Bible. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, and it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do right. And God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. That message doesn't kill. It kills sin. It kills our selfishness. It kills our ignorance. Peter continues and he says this. Peter chapter 1. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, the prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit when they spoke from God. We believe that all Scripture is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit helping men to write the very words of God. The Holy Spirit wrote the Scripture. He's not going to turn around and say, don't read that. When we go to the Spirit and say, oh, give me some great revelation, he's going to say, check the manual and get back to me. Being a spiritual person requires spiritual instruction, which assumes growth and development. The Spirit is with us. It's the promise of the Father. It's not so much that we are waiting for Him to speak as much as He's waiting for us to listen. How does the Spirit know when we are listening? How can we know that we're spiritual people? This is my point number two, spiritual mindset. So some people say there, there's a science of nonverbal communication, right? You guys have probably heard of body language. People examine body language. There's YouTube videos of people examining like famous speakers like Trump or someone else and look at their body language. This is what it really means. This is what they're saying. It's interesting. But there's so much we know that we communicate through our body language. You know? Like I, I can be up here teaching and saying, you know, they say that 75% of what we actually speak is nonverbal communication. Right? The huh, told you a lot about what I thought about the sentence that I just proclaimed. My body language is saying a lot about what I'm presenting to you. I notice today I keep shaking my finger and I'm thinking, who am I shaking my finger at? I don't normally do that. Spirit, it's a point. 
weird. Um, <laughs> like if you ever watched Mr. Bean. That guy doesn't say a word, and yet he like says more than most comics do in like an hour and a half when he just like walks into a room. It's incredible to see the nonverbal communication. And I think this is important for us to understand in this passage. Paul is not saying there's a secret wisdom. He's not saying there's some spiritual higher plane. He's saying the gospel is the wisdom of God. Those who are spiritual receive this wisdom. The simple message conveys the power of the Spirit to change, and mo- to change our motivation in profoundly personal and meaningful ways. In other words, those who are spiritual convey it through their body language. They demonstrate they are spiritual in how they live and how they respond to the gospel, not just their body language. That's just an analogy. Those who are spiritual live it out. You see it, not just in what they say, it's in what they do. Paul's calling them here. Paul's calling them out here using their own terminology, so to speak, against them. They claim to be spiritual and mature. But he says, you prove by your actions that you're walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit. He says, and you still aren't ready. For you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I follow, I'm a follower of Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Aren't you just acting like the people of the world? Now, this message is very heavily directed to those who are in Christ. So earlier, Paul says something important, though, and I want want to point out what he is admonishing here. He says in chapter 2, verse 14, but the people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Now, he's not, he's not saying that there are Christians who are not spiritual that can't understand what God is saying. He's saying that there are, are people that are in the flesh and there are people that are in the spirit. He uses two different terms here to make a distinction between the Corinthians and what they're called to and the people that have not yet accepted what Jesus has done and received the spirit of God. So he, he says there are fleshly people. These are people who are thinking to themselves, I'm, I'm going to justify myself. I'm a good person, and I'm just going to live my life in a good way, and I'm gonna, that's going to make me right with God. That's one way to express that. Some people say, I don't care about any of the rules. I'm just going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. That's another way to express that. But Paul is talking to those who have the Spirit. And he's not saying to the Corinthians, you don't have the Spirit. What he's saying is, it doesn't make sense what you're doing because you do have the Spirit, but you're living like... You're in the flesh. You're, you have the Spirit of God in you, but you're not letting that control you. You're letting your flesh control you when you have these divisions and arguments. <coughs> in other words, we're not living out <clears throat> the new life and identity that they have in Christ, which leads Paul to demonstrate their lack of spirituality, which is shown in these divisions that are created. Now, these divisions in the church, they, some of them favor one teacher or another, and we would be tempted, I think, to put a shallow interpretation on their division and say, well, they just had preferences. I like this guy better than this guy. And I, I really think that nothing about these people says that they're really that shallow when it comes to their pursuit of God. 
I think these, re- these divisions are the types of divisions that are really biting. These are the holier-than-thou type of divisions. These are the religious type of divisions where it's like, I follow this guy because he's the right teacher, and this is the way that I'm going to become a spiritual person by doing this method. And the other guy says, no, this is the right type of teacher. I'm going to follow this guy because this is the way that I'm going to God. And when you have these holier-than-thou sort of self-regarding halfway holiness or distorted holiness, it causes this division like you're following that bad teacher— and it, we sort of just attribute, like, negative <clears throat> motives to, to the other side. Because they're not holy. You know, those people believe this. Those guys do this. We don't do that kind of stuff. We are holy because we do this. That's what really kept the Jews from fully seeing the reality of the gospel that, that was going out to the whole world, not just the Jews. Because their own holiness kept them from understanding. It made them an exclusive little clique. And I think that's what's going on here. The divisions that are created are not just because they like one teacher over the other. It's really because they think this is the way that I'm going to become more spiritual. And you're not, you're not willing to follow it. You're not, you're not as good as I am. They really want to elevate themselves. This is part of their culture, remember, in Corinth. They live in a social climbing culture. This is what they're doing all the time. I want to elevate myself socially and, and show myself to be benevolent and generous and have my name on plaques and be important. So they're just taking this into the church. They're just taking their culture into the church and saying, how can I be more spiritual then? How can I grow? How can I do this? Well, this teacher is the way to go, and the other one's not. And then envy and jealousy and divisions are being stirred up. And Paul says, that is not spiritual. That form of holiness, that form of religion, that form of legalism is not spiritual. You're demonstrating that you're in the flesh. And I think this is the type of division that we really need to guard ourselves against. Of course we're divided against error. We're, we're, we're not for anything goes sort of spirituality, pan, whatever theism. No. I believe there's a truth. And if there's a truth that you can stand for, one, one author said, there's a hundred ways to fall. There's a hundred ways to go wrong there's only one way to go straight. There's a straight path Jesus declares to us, and we want to follow that. We want to understand his spirit. We, want to, we don't want to unnecessarily create divisions, and I think as we begin to think about our growth and our spirituality, if we're really growing in the spirit, we're growing in unity. We're growing in unity of purpose. We're growing in unity of relationship. We're growing in our ability to love people. I could be the most spiritual person for 100 miles around, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. That's what is going to come later in Corinthians, right? Jesus intends for us to have his spirit. Jesus, uh, the spirit of God, this God who is love, is indwelling us. And love covers a multitude of sins. We've talked about previously this idea of the two sides of the, of the sort of theology and practice. The, the gospel power and the purpose. You know, we don't want to separate those things. We've got all the power and all the theology and all the spirituality, but we don't have the purpose to love people, to proclaim the gospel, to be to glorify God in our lives, in whatever station, whatever role that He's given us. Then we're we're missing out. If we're, or if we're 
we're doing all the social justice battles and, and doing all this stuff and really trying to see, you know, the world transformed. But we don't. But we've we've thrown out <laughs> the baby with the bathwater. We don't have the theology of the cross. We don't have an understanding of who God is. We're in error on both sides of that that camp. And a spiritual person is somebody who's growing in their understanding of how to walk in that tension. Think about who Jesus hung out with. It wasn't us, <laughs> right? It was the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. And the religious people are scratching their heads saying, does he know what kind of a woman is touching him right now? Ugh. The Spirit of Christ enables us to go out with a confidence in that tension of the mission that he's sending us on. <clears throat> That's where we're always going to be able to live. So a spiritual mindset seeks to walk in the Spirit, thus manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in accordance with the book written by the Spirit in the context of the dwelling place of the Spirit, which is his building, the church, around the message of the cross. <clears throat> My last point, spiritual growth. Paul says, after all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are only God's servant through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be re rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So how does anything grow? We, there's some basic understanding that we have. The right environment, the right nutrition, the right guidance. Seeds are a pretty simple thing, at least from our perspective, right? It's a little thing. You bury it in the ground, and you water it, and the sun shines on it, and it grows into a plant. It's incredible. This is a powerful metaphor for our spiritual growth. Of course, as humans, we have the whole added dimension of our mind, will, and emotions, our personhood. So we're not as simple as a seed, perhaps. And yet, we, like plants, we're like plants who sort of can choose to grow toward a different sun or grow toward the moon or try to grow back down into the dirt. We're oddball plants. Jesus says this in Matthew 4. He's describing the kingdom of God. He says, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces cr the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, and then the heads of the wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it, with the sickle, for the harvest time has come. Paul says it's not important who does the planting or the watering. The important thing for us to hold on to is God makes it grow. Paul's not saying it's not important who you listen to. It's not important what teachers you have. He's saying the emphasis, the understanding that you need to get from your teachers is that God is at work in you. Once your teachers start to say, it's me, then we're in trouble. Then you're in trouble, if you believe that. 
God's the one that's going to make you grow. In fact, that's what he intends for it to happen when we accept Christ and he fills us with his spirit. He's not going to let us not grow. He's going to pull us along. He's going he's to push us into places where we keep sort of like cycling through this and then we realize, doggone it, now I get it, you know? And then we start to grow. It's amazing how we, we just think of ourselves as grown and developed people. But God intends for us to continue that process. There's no place to just sort of sit back and rest when it comes to being a spiritual person. A spiritual person is ready to grow. And the important thing is that God brings the increase. When I was thinking about, well, how do we grow in the church? What does spiritual growth look like in the church? The image of a rock tumbler came into my mind. Have you guys ever had a rock tumbler? Do you know what I mean by that? It's a little machine that they sold in some sort of magazine. And then they sell you rocks. And then you put the rocks in it with sand and water. And you turn it on. And it, it's a little, like, rubber barrel that just spins. And then you let it spin for, like, a month. And then you get the rocks out. And they're all shiny and, like, beautiful, like, diamonds, right? I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's called a rock tumbler. And that's what I thought of when I thought of what does spiritual growth look like in the church? You know, because we are so individualistic as we read these passages. How am I going to grow spiritually? I got to go do this or that or, or figure out a way to, to grow spiritually. This is what the Corinthians are doing. How can I elevate myself spiritually? Not understanding that it's us. How do, how do, how do we grow spiritually in the church? We get thrown into this rock tumbler with grit and water, and it just rubs us the wrong way for a long time as God's polishing us and making us more like Christ, not like ourselves. And it happens together. Like, God throws us in there, and it's these people that we bump into. It's these people in the church that you come and you see. These are the rocks that God intends to rub you the wrong way and to make you shine because of it. I was just sitting with my brothers a little while ago. We were meeting, and I was very frustrated with my brothers because I was just thinking, you guys don't get it. And you guys aren't as smart as me. And if you could only understand what I understand, it would just be so much easier. And my brother said, you're arrogant. Now I'm like, now you really don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) But I stopped. I just just stopped and said, okay. Like, I I love my brothers. I trust my brothers. They're, They're godly men. And... I'm not, apparently. But uh, the Spirit was speaking through my brother that day. He was was calling me out for my arrogance in this process that we're walking through and just sort of kind of just blithely just kind of thinking, I know what's right and I know what should happen. And I'm not listening. And I, that rubbed me the wrong way, I got to tell you. That wasn't, I wasn't like, thank you, Lord for my little brother telling me that I'm arrogant. Do you know how stupid he is? (laughs) He's not stupid at all, actually. Um, And I just sat there and just kind of, like, let the sand, like, rub on me for a while as I tumbled in the the tumbler of my spiritual growth. And it it took me, like, a few days. Like, when I got home, Angie was just, like, calm down. Like, then she tries to, like, tell me the gospel, you know. Sheesh. I'm like, don't you understand, Angie? (laughs) 
And it, it's just not, it's not comfortable to grow spiritually. That's my point. Spiritual growth confronts who we are because we're not Christ. Spiritual growth begins to just grind on us. And we grow. And we become more and more like Christ. But it takes time. He says you're going to be born again and you're earning a process. And God is going to bring the increase in your life. And sometimes God is kind of saying, hard or easy. You know? Like you could listen to the lesson and try to walk it out or you can open this can. And we all know what's in there because it whoops us. And sometimes, we, sometimes, honestly, for me, this the can has been like the best teacher in my life. Like the school of hard knocks. And I'm like, okay, I know that now, God. <laughs> After three years, uh, I understand what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 means. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> spiritual growth is like that. It's a process. God is going to bring the increase. But don't deceive yourself and think that it's going to happen apart from these people that are right here. Don't think to yourself, well, I got to go home and just start the spiritual regiment, the spiritual Rambo, and I'm just going to do it, and then I'll come there and show everyone how spiritual I am. You won't. You won't grow all by yourself. This is the, the field. This is the building in which God is, is bringing the increase in spiritual growth in our lives. He's building us together. It says we're God's building. He's building us together. We're the stones, the living stones that are becoming the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We read that and we think to ourselves, well, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he indwells my body. And the Holy Spirit says, no, your body is just a little rock in the wall of the temple that I'm building in which I'm going to dwell. I'm building you together. I'm making you into the body of Christ because one of you can't do it all by yourself. I'm not the sole representation of who Jesus is for this church. Woe unto us. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones God has called to accomplish his work. It's such an incredible thing that God is doing in our lives. I believe that the Corinthians divided over their desire to gain holiness. They saw themselves involved in a choose-your-own-adventure competition of holier-than-thou as the finish line. Now, we certainly have a race to run, a fight to fight. But when we have the wrong starting line like our own ability to become spiritual and mature, we are missing God's design and starting point. God is building us into a temple, a dwelling place for the Spirit. God is the vine dresser, cultivating growth in our lives. The starting line for us is picking up the cross. The race is run following Jesus. The finish line is healthy, is a healthy and growing body of Christ, united and walking in the Spirit that is being built up in love. The good news is that, is that this is what God is doing. He's the architect, the author and perfecter of our faith, and he brings the increase as we keep in step with his spirit. This message is for everyone. The spirit of God is freely given in changing your mind about how to grow. Accepting and trusting in Jesus' sacrifice, which washes away sin and makes a way for us to once again know God and have spiritual life and to receive God's empowering presence. God is inviting us because of the cross to come in and receive his presence, to know him and to walk with him and to know what we were made for. I love what Caleb said last week. 
that it is for our glory that God has called us to follow him. Because when we, we're glorified in fulfilling the purposes that God has given us, that he made us for, and that brings glory to God. This message is for those who are in Christ by faith. You have the indwelling of the empowering presence of God. You've awakened to spiritual life. Don't let the flesh control you. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit of God and walk with Him. Listen through His Word, His church, and prayer. He is speaking. Pursue spiritual growth and maturity, which is living out your new identity. Loving your Spirit-united family as Christ loved us. Putting into practice all the new abilities that we have in Christ by His Spirit for His body. And I believe this message is also for Harambe Church at large. We are running a, we are running a race. But it's time to mature. It's time to seek spiritual instruction and to set our minds on the Spirit and to grow. To become more spiritual. Understanding the goal and the end game of spiritual growth is to be together pushing forward. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the magnificent promise of your spirit. And Lord, I just want to say forgive me for thinking so lightly of it. For not understanding the true nature of what you're doing in our lives. For not growing, Lord, in the things of the spirit. You've led me in so many ways. You've led our church in so many ways, Holy Spirit. You've worked in so many of the lives of the people that are here and the people that we interact with. And we pray for more. Lord Jesus, you said, if you ask my heavenly father, he knows how to give you more. He will give you more of his spirit, Lord. And so we ask, heavenly father, give us more of your spirit in our gatherings, in our everyday lives, in our groups, in our workplaces, in our families, in our pastimes. Lord, help us to keep our minds set on the things of the spirit. And Holy Spirit, come and have your way in our plans and our purposes this year as we go forward. Have your way in our gatherings, Holy Spirit. I pray for your work to be done in our hearts. I pray that you would lift up our eyes from the things of this earth, Lord, to the things of the Spirit. I pray that you would help us not to dwell on the things of the flesh, but to dwell on the things of the Spirit. To keep our minds and our eyes focused on things above, where you're seated at the right hand of the Father, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the message of the cross. We thank you for the power of the good news that your sacrifice washes away our sins, Lord. I pray for everyone here to fully understand that message and receive it and by faith be reconciled to you, Heavenly Father. I pray for everyone here to receive more of your spirit this morning. And Lord, send us out this week in the power of your spirit, walking by your spirit and listening your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.